Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt, and I'm so glad that you are joining us. We are currently in our summer chat series, and we are talking about different topics all summer um, to help build our biblical worldview. Today, we are asking the question, does God still heal? Before we get started, I do want to share with you a testimony from last week's episode. Last week, we talked about cultivating a servant heart, and this was one of my favorite testimonies that came in, not because, I mean, I loved all of them. Um, I, I love everyone's servant heart, but I loved this one in particular because it was so simple, and I think sometimes we feel like we need to have this big, huge thing to make an impact in the world. So listen up. It says, good morning, Carrie. On your podcast, you invited people to spend time with a widow and to let you know how it went. Sunday afternoon, I brought some cupcakes to Miss Pat. She's a lady in my neighborhood whose husband recently passed away from Alzheimer's. She was happy to see me, and we talked for about two or three hours and were joking around. She told me that she was having a difficult time finding her purpose after her husband died, and she was feeling lonely. I helped her hang a picture in her dining room, and I invited her to walk with me in the neighborhood in the evenings. We also spoke about events that she could get involved in to be more social. At the end of our talk, she told me that my visit cheered her up. I told her it cheered me up visiting with her too. Thank you for reminding us to remember the widows. Wow. I mean, this this made a huge impact on this woman's life. I think that our our listener will never know what an impact that she made in this individual's life. And really, that's what we are called to. Sometimes in our culture, we think that we need to have a platform and reach hundreds or thousands of people, but it's really about reaching one person at a time. I had mentioned Macy Roy, who worked um, with the children's home, and right now she is working towards sending all the girls in that home to Spar Water Park. And so if you want to help her raise money for that, you can reach out to me and I'll help you connect with her. I also want to thank you for those that have reached out about um, the haircuts at Love and Truth Inviter. And I will be posting later this week a little flyer on the Facebook page so that you can uh, see how you can help with that if you're interested. And then we also have a group of ladies that are going to be helping at our local Hope Center in Beaumont. That is a center that helps provide uh, the support and medical needs and supplies and anything that a woman um, that finds herself pregnant and alone can um can, it's a place for them to find help and support. And so we have a group of ladies going over there and they're going to start some small groups. So lots of things happening just in this one week. I'm so excited. We still want to hear, even if a month down the road, you're doing something and you've seen God move through it, please share with us just that step of faith. Um, okay, so the most important thing to realize is that you have to start somewhere. Even if it feels small and insignific- insignificant, it isn't. Uh, the more faithful that we are, the more God will give us. I don't want to ever be the one that gets my talents taken away by God because I buried them. I want to use them and we have to start somewhere. So don't despise small beginnings. I myself have this fresh burning for local outreach. I have no idea where to start, but I will start by posting opportunities that I hear about on our social media pages. It doesn't seem like much, but it's a start. 
And so I'm excited because I've already heard feedback from a few things that I've posted and that people are getting involved. And that's what it's all about. Well, on today's episode, we will start by, ha- by having a very personal chat. I'm going to be sharing a little part of my testimony, and it's a very painful part. But here's the backstory. My mom and dad came to faith in Jesus when I was about three years old. They both experienced radical transformation. My dad had two men at the refinery he worked at that helped really lead him to his faith in Christ, and then they discipled him after My parents also got involved in a Friday night Bible study at Lamar University on top of going to church. The Friday night Bible study was led by a pastor in Houston named Jack Park. Of course, I was too young to know much about it, but I still keep up with some of their friends that they made during those years. And this must have been some sort of powerful teaching because the people who attended that not only were impacted for the kingdom, but they left a legacy and their children and grandchildren are also serving the Lord. My parents were those that if the doors were open at church, they were the first to be there. They served and they gave their life to the Lord. What was preached on Sunday morning, my parents lived out in the four walls of our home. I grew up never really seeing an ugly fight between them, hearing a harsh word. I saw my parents pray together. We as a family prayed together. My parents led small groups. They modeled what forgiveness looked like and what asking for forgiveness looked like. They were both huge champions of my brother and I. Very present, and they built heart connection with us. We ate around the dinner table. We took vacations. And I'm not saying that it was perfect. There's no such thing. But what I am saying is that my childhood was very fertile ground to build disciples. And they did. My brother and I both serve God through our local church. And we are both by the grace of God, teaching our children to do the same. It really felt like I was growing up in a leave it to beaver childhood. Well, at 19, I had an encounter with God that shifted him from being my parents' God that I knew of to my God that I would boldly follow. I left Lamar University, where I was currently attending, to go to Christ for the Nations Institute in Dallas, Texas, to pursue ministry. While I was there, I developed a cyst on my tailbone, and after a semester of it, I finally told my mom, and we went to a doctor. I learned that this was more common than I knew about, and it was a pretty invasive surgery. It sounded awful, but those cysts just simply do not go away on their own. I wasn't ready to schedule the surgery. I couldn't take the time off from school, and my summer was going to be packed with youth camp. So I prayed and prayed and read scripture over me and had friends lay hands over me and went up for every healing altar call I could go to. Um, Eventually, the cyst just disappeared and never came back. It was through that circumstance that I met Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. So fast forward a few years, after CF and I, I ended up moving home and re-enrolled in Lamar University and lived at my parents' house. After about a year into my degree, my mom noticed a growth on her gums. It was kind of like a ping pong sized ball beginning to grow. We finally found out that whatever it was, it was in her jaw. So MD Anderson quickly moved to surgically remove half of her jaw, and then they would determine what it was. It was really the most difficult thing that my family had ever faced, half of her jaw, the pain and the disfigurement. Well, they made a prosthetic, surgery went seamless, and by the end of it, she woke up with prosthetic already in. She was um, released and recovering so quickly, but the end of that first week of recovery, her vision started going. So we rushed her back to MD, (coughs) excuse me, for testing, and it was there that we got the worst news of our life, incurable bone cancer throughout her entire body. 
After the shock, I turned to Jehovah Rapha. I knew him personally. In fact, I realized why God had even brought me through that. It was to build my faith for this. I can't explain it, but my faith really was a supernatural faith. I didn't care that this was not a cancer that could be cured. My God would heal her and everyone would know what a mighty God we served. We prayed and fasted for her feeling for her healing. I typed out scripture and prayed all the worship music I could. God was showing off with the amount of friends and family and youth group that were joining us in prayer. Oh, she came home and hospice was called in, but that didn't hinder my faith. God doesn't work on our timing. And time went by. Three months went by. And on June 29th, my family set me down next to my 86-year-old, 86-pound mother and told me that I really was going to have to be the one to tell her that she could go. I was 24 and hadn't even really started my life. She had poured into me, and she needed to be there to watch me get married and have children and to be my best friend. So I leaned over and I whispered in her ear, you can go home, Mom. I love you. And she died that night. So over the next five years, my brother and I had to deal with a whole entirely new issue. My dad had become addicted to the popular concoction of pain medicine, muscle relaxers, and antidepressants that was so popular in the 90s. He had a severe back issue, and this is what he was being prescribed And it's extremely addicting. But what catapulted everything was that this concoction also made you feel nothing. So between my mom's death and him having to take an early retirement and some other personal pain that he was going through, he, after a five-year battle with this um, addiction, ended his own life after my mother's death. Once again, the Jehovah Rapha that I had turned to for his healing, his emotional, physical, and the break of addiction didn't show up. The night my mother had died, but before she actually died, I threw a fit. I was furious with God, and I wanted him to feel the pain that I felt, the betrayal. I thought up the only thing that a little innocent Christian girl could think of. I was going to go out every single night and party and sleep with every guy that I met. Now, not that I wanted that lifestyle, but I knew that it was rebellion, and I knew that it would hurt the heart of my Heavenly Father. So while I was telling him of my plans, like a five-year-old child, I heard him speak so clearly in my spirit that it was almost audible. He said these words, I am sovereign. And this really shook me to my core. I didn't even really quite know what that meant, so I looked it up. The sovereignty of God is his right to exercise his ruling power over his creation. So I decided in that moment that I would follow him and that he was good no matter what my emotions felt like. I quickly repented and and decided to live for him. After my father died, I continued to believe that, but I came to my own conclusion that Jehovah Rapha didn't hear my prayers and that the healing I received years ago at CFNI must have just been a fluke. One thing I've learned since those days, that there, it, there is the truth of God's word and there's a false reality that we experience in this broken world. We as humans allow experience and feelings to dictate what we believe. We must choose to put truth inside of us and then by faith believe it. We can go on for a month talking about what scripture says about healing, but this is just a summer chat and a testimony. So please don't consider this a theological talk. So without a doubt in my mind, I choose to fight these feelings with truth. And this is the truth that I know in God's word. First, 
that God identified himself as Jehovah Rapha. That word means the Lord who heals in Hebrew. We can go back to Exodus 15 and see where this first appears. God says this to his children in Israel. If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. The context was the Israelites had just left Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. Moses took them to the desert of Shur, where for three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. For three days. The Lord was testing them and their faith. The Israelites' test in the desert was soon amplified. They came across a body of water, but they could not drink from it. They called the water Mara, which means bitter. Their souls began to turn bitter. And well, they grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? And can I tell you, I would be right there with them. I, so many times when I read the story, get convicted because I would have been one of those griping Israelites. Well, Moses did exactly what he should have done. He prayed to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Following God's instructions, Moses threw the wood into the water and the water miraculously became fit to drink. Immediately after the Lord healed the waters of Marah, he identified himself to them as Jehovah Rapha, I'm the Lord who heals you. He doesn't just heal water, he heals people. The healing of the waters was a demonstration of God's power to overcome any impurity, contamination, or corruption. God gives the Israelites a promise. I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. This is a reference to the 10 plagues that God had recently sent upon the Egyptians. Remember that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and his name still holds true. I also know that in scripture, Jesus commands his disciples. In Matthew 10, verse 1, we see that Jesus called the 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. If you Google what Jesus is, and I always tell y'all, don't trust Google, but this is how simple it is. If you do a simple Google search on Jesus's ministry, it it consisted of three things, performing miracles, casting out demons, and healing people. So in verse 7 of that chapter 10, he, he goes on to say, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Notice his disciples received authority and were told to go heal. Notice that they weren't told to go and pray and ask God to move. We see this acted out in Acts with Peter and John when they come across the beggar. They say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. It was a command. They had authority to heal. They were Um, They went on to repeat exactly what they saw Jesus do. He had been training them for three years. John chapter 14, verse 12, we see that Jesus is again talking to his disciples. And he says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the same works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. There's two schools of thought in Christianity today. There's cessationism, where the gifts are not operating today. And there's continuationism, where the gifts are very much in operation today. I am a firm believer that the gifts are for today. In my study of what first century discipleship was, I am learning that the rabbi's intention was to live a life as an example with the intention of their followers to emulate them exactly. 
the followers of the followers were to do the same. And the followers of the followers' followers were to do the same. The goal was to pass down how to walk out the faith to all generations. You learn by following and watching. Then by your rabbi watching you as you minister. And then you are sent out alone to do what they did and to look just like them. Then you repeat the process with your own disciples and so on. So the purpose of the power of miracles were to be a sign to unbelievers so that they would believe. Then Jesus would return. Well, he hasn't returned yet. So why would Jesus give us the Holy Spirit, show us what was important to him and how he ministered by casting out demons, healings, and miracles, but want us to reach people in a different way? That's just not Jewish discipleship. We are to walk by following in the footsteps of our master. So when you study the healing miracles of Jesus, one thing I see is that he was interested in healing our spiritual eyes just as much as our physical needs. We must ask him for spiritual healing. We need eyes to see what God saw. We need eyes to see when and where to heal. And I believe that we have all authority to go out in his name and heal the sick and raise the dead and to cast demons out. And of course, in our society, we don't even know how to recognize some of those things. But this is what my prayer is today, that would God, God would move in such a way in our hearts and give us spiritual eyes to see and the boldness through the Holy Spirit to move in ministry just as we saw modeled in Scripture. So this has been um, one of the most difficult uh, Bible nerds that I've ever done. I've never really shared my story. It's hard to be vulnerable, but I really hope that this encouraged you that no matter what you've experienced, what you've been through, scripture says that we serve Jehovah Rapha, a God who heals. And when God sent his son on this earth to live out how what his heartbeat was and how we are to live, we see that healing was a very important part of Jesus's ministry. And in fact, on the cross, he not only died for our sins, but he also died for our healing. So I encourage you today to just start searching, asking, and praying for this boldness, praying for us to see. I won't see you next week. We will be going on the first family vacation that we've taken in a year and a half. So I'm going to just enjoy family time, but I'll be back week after next. It's been a pleasure. Happy reading and see you then.